Hey, we're joined by a first-time guest on the podcast, Brian Diardo. Thanks for joining us. You're based in Miami, right? Actually, I'm based in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, let's let's start that again. <laughs> Why did I think you were from Miami? This is the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. So we're rolling. Yep. Okay. What an odd way to start a podcast. No, we haven't started yet. You know what I've just discovered recently? I don't know if you guys are into this or not. Um, like Google trending, you know, where you go on Google and you you punch a certain link and then you hit uh, a button called trending and it tells you what's trending on Google. It gives you like a top 30 things. You're so old. You guys hip to that? <laughs> Yes, Greg, I'm hip to that. What did you what what'd you what did you run into? Okay, this interested me. You know, because you get the usual stuff that you'd expect, but then you get uh, one of the things that was trending this morning, and we're doing this on Sunday, is the hashtag "What's in the Queen's handbag?" That interested me because the Queen Queen Elizabeth is always carrying around this little old lady handbag. She's Queen Elizabeth. She's got an, an entourage around her. If she if she has to blow her nose, there's 40 people rushing to her with a hanky. Why is she carrying a handbag and what's in it? So that hashtag interested me. Now, uh, I'm curious what you guys think. I'm going to rule out condoms, and here's the reason. Uh, <laughs> Prince Philip just died at 99, and it's too soon for her to be dating again. Okay, so what I'm going to rule out is condoms. But what do you think is in the Queen's handbag? I can't compete with your answer. Like, there's just nothing I can do comedically that will top that. So I'm right. going to just uh, bow out to Yeti okay. for his response. Uh, the right. first thing I thought of was a 45, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. You know, a pack of cigarettes would have been right up there. Um, <laughs> Maybe some marijuana. <laughs> sure. The um, weed. Anything on the legit side, though? Like, what? A hanky. I can see that. I mean, like, like if you're really speaking legitimately, it's probably a, you know, uh, uh, some makeup thing, like a little powder. I don't know. No, nah, but know to my dad's called. point, she probably has a whole team that does that before she leaves the house. Yeah. Like, you know. Oh, of course. Right, because she I, looks pretty good for her age. Do people still do hankies? Like, is that a thing? Like, people just have, like, a or little tissues. cloth? Uh, probably. Well, the Queen, of, <laughs> the Queen of England is not using um, tissue. She's using cloth. Not only cloth, but probably, like, silk. You know, like 200-year-old silk. And as soon as she touches anything with it, it's done and goes in the garbage. Like, she right. never re... Like, there's no folding. Like, like the way you do with, like, a toilet paper. You guys you guys are folders, right? With the toilet paper, you get in there, a little toilet, little wipe, little fold. You know? Yes. You can get yeah. two or three wipes with one piece of toilet paper. No. No? Uh, <laughs> no. No. I'm, no. I'm one wipe per... To per no, no, no. Home. First of all, let, no, no, hold on, no, no. I'm not saying that I'm using one little square. I pull out, like, probably, oh. like... I know exactly seven or, what you're doing. I pull out like seven or eight. It's like a long, like foot long. You guys don't wipe and then you you come back up and you like fold it. So there's no more remnants of like whatever you just wiped with is completely covered by the fold. And then you go back in. You guys are wasting toilet paper. You guys are making yeah, me man. sound like the, you guys are making me <laughs> sound like the monster here. You guys are the monsters wasting toilet paper. I, I don't care. I'm wasting that toilet paper. <laughs> right. I, I, uh, I do three, two wipes and a dig. Uh, the first wipe is, is the forward swipe. All right. This second is wipe too is graphic. the backward swipe. And then the third one is where you uh, make sure that the central exit and entry point 
is uh, Doug Clean. Are you saying with the same role of with the same thing of paper here? So you're an ally with me? I don't like my no. ally on this. No, those oh, are three different uh, okay. things. Okay. Welcome to the Greg Cody Show, by the way. Ah, uh, yes, Yeti. Thank you for that reminder. Uh, <laughs> we have a great show today. Uh, we have Jessica Smatana, the newest uh, member of the Levitard Show, shipping container. Can't wait for that conversation. And from CBS Sports, we have Brian Diardo, who is here in his alter ego as Diardo the Magnificent to display a particular bizarre oddball skill of his. And, uh, and we can't wait for that. I can wait a little bit. Can like, you? I, I heard it. It's exciting. It's really interesting. It's, it's honestly flat out impressive what this guy can do. Yes. But I can wait. I can wait like 20 minutes. Okay. All right. Now, this is where one of you guys uh, jumps in about the, the decals. I'm leaving that in. That was my dad's transition <laughs> to talk about the fact that he, like a crazy person, purchased a hundred decals. A thousand. A th- <laughs> oh yeah, you spent a hundred dollars right. on a thousand decals for the Greg Cody show. And I it's just a sticker with our logo, right? Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Professionally made. Uh believe me, I had to approve exactly how it's gonna look. They're four inches by four inches. You so had to like approve? This- did, Isn't did it you just order the- a proof? Isn't it just the logo that Angel Resto made? Uh, yeah, but we had to get the original. I don't know all the lingo, but uh, I, I forwarded them a photograph of it, and it wasn't sufficient quality. So they asked, can we get the artist's original PDF or whatever it's called? Right. So I got with Angel, and, and I, I sent them the original PDF, <laughs> and it was great. Have you? I, I have a side question before you, Eddie, you go. Have you paid Angel Resto yet for the, the, that logo? That he oh, made? yes, I did. Okay. I totally did. Yeah. I just want to make sure because we want like a like a handful of months where you were stugatzing him with the Billy thing and like you just weren't paying Angel. No, it was a little pricey, quite frankly, but you get what you pay for. It was excellent. No, thanks, yeah. Angel, if you're listening. He's so good. Yeah, no, he is. Now, I, I was just in awe that, at the fact that Greg would try to, hey, let me submit this nice logo that I'd like to make a nice sticker, but let me right. just take a picture of the actual right. logo. A screen right. grab. Was, was it on, on your phone. computer screen? Did you hold your computer up to the computer screen and take a picture of it? Yeah, how did you send that picture? That's a good I question. already had it. Uh, it's the one that, it's the same one that runs in my blog. I mean. It's a screenshot. Yeah. It's a screenshot. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so it was just a screenshot. So you didn't like hold your phone up to the computer screen and take a picture. Of it. No, that, that's what I was imagining. That would have been epic. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we eventually got the original PDF, if that's a proper phrase. And it's going to, the decals are going to be great. So looking what forward are we to doing? What are we doing with those? I have no idea. And All nor right. do I know why I ordered them. But um, <laughs> it seemed like a good deal. You know, it's uh, a thousand. They, they end up costing like 11 cents each. It was great. Maybe the audience could tell us what to do with them. You know, send send some suggestions to Greg um, or the show feed, and uh, give us give us your your ideas, and yeah. and maybe we'll use yours. And if if we use your idea, maybe we'll send you a sticker. But if you pay for the shipping, right? I'm thinking of a self addressed stamped envelope. Is that still a thing? Is that something that actually happens in 2021? A self addressed stamp stamped envelope? No, no. Anyway, let's move on. Let's swivel from decals to Jessica Smetana because she was great, and it's a fun listen. Here it is. Jessica, Chris Whittingham uh, revealed exclusively on this podcast last week that he uh, gels his hair inexplicably right before bedtime and wakes up with an oily pillow. Uh, I wonder if you can top that and... Tell our audience something about yourself that uh, is 
heretofore unknown publicly and maybe the equivalent of that kind of weird or shocking? Wow, that's a really difficult question to start off. First of all, I would like to say Chris Whittingham is a total weirdo for that. I have a very... (laughs) I have a a, like a legit bedtime routine. I have to do like the same, you know, face wash, face cream, everything before I go to bed. Got to keep the pores refined, right, Greg? Got to take the makeup Mm. off, do the whole thing. Um, I'm not sure if I have anything quite as weird as that. We've already been over the fact that I don't use knives. Um, I don't know if your audience (laughs) is aware of that, but I like to just like chew meat with my, you know, fingers and hands. Sure. Um, I'm very averse to silverware in general, but yeah, you know, I got to think about that because nothing's quite as weird as anything that. Chris Whittingham. Hang does. on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> You're really trying to say, yes, I'm invading the Greg Cody Show podcast. Hello, Greg. You're Hello. really trying to argue that putting hair product in your hair is less weird than taking a piece of meat and chewing it without using any utensils. Before I'm bed? I'm sorry, that is a million times no, weird. I'm with her. Before bed, it's weird. Using product, How obviously not weird. weird. Before bed? Just generally, just I'm saying, in, in a vacuum, eating like putting gel in your hair, no matter the time of day, or eating a piece of meat without utensils. In a vacuum. Eating a piece of meat without utensils is a hundred times weirder. Why are we in a vacuum? First of all, stop hijacking my interview, Whittingham. Yeah, get out of here. Don't besmirk that. Second of all, after people found out that I don't use silverware, I got so many replies from other people who don't like using knives either. So I know I'm not alone on that. As far as the gelling the hair before bed, I've never heard of another person who does that. Yeah, weirdo. (laughs) Whoa. There used to be a weird, uh, a, a, a popular word, by the way, weirdo. Do people still say that? I like that word a lot. I love so. that word. I grew up with that word. Um, anyway, uh, you, you mentioned the makeup thing, and I talk to my wife about this a lot because um, how do you feel about makeup? Are you one of these women who is constantly wearing makeup, or do you sometimes go on natural and go a couple of days without makeup? I got to say, during the pandemic, I probably didn't wear makeup for like, 10 months straight and it was the best 10 months of my life minus the constant fear that me and my loved ones would die but (laughs) I really liked going oh natural like I don't wear a lot of makeup I feel like it clogs the pores and and especially when you're in Miami it just melts off your face like what's Mm, the point but um I do understand that if you're on TV which luckily we're not on TV right now you do kind of need some makeup or else the lights just drown you out and and, like flood you out but I, I love makeup I just don't wear it all the time Jess, um, I would love to to learn more about you as uh, and, and share that information with our audience. Some of the people may know all this already, but but I don't. So tell me about your childhood, your sports background. I know you played soccer. Uh, I know you play golf. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you grew up and, and particularly the sports side of it. Yeah, so I grew up a huge sports fan. I'm from a family of big sports fans. My mom's side of the family are all Steelers fans. My dad's side are all Chicago people. So I grew up a Steelers fan, but I'm grew up outside of Chicago. So I'm like a Cubs fan, a Blackhawks fan, a Bulls fan. I like the Bears, but you know the Bears have never been that great during my lifetime, other than in um 2005, 2006. So or I guess 2004, 2005. I can't remember one of those years. So anyways, I am a Steelers fan predominantly. And then my both of my parents went to Notre Dame. So I grew up a huge Notre Dame fan. Um, and I've always been a big college football fan. 2020 was the first year in my life that I was not at a Notre Dame home game. Um, so I missed that a lot during the pandemic. And hopefully I'll be able to go to one this fall. But yeah, I've always been a big football fan. I loved playing soccer, but I was never much of a soccer watcher outside of the U.S. women's national team. 
um, until probably the last year I started watching more Premier League. Um, but yeah, I've just, I've, I'm kind of a generalist like Dan, like I think Dan kind of watches everything and I feel like I kind of fit that mold. Like I kind of watch everything. I absorb everything. Like I love the Olympics because things happening at once and you get to learn about all these different sports. You right. don't really have to be an expert at any of them to understand what's going on. And it's really fun for that reason. So yeah, I've just always, I've always loved sports and I played soccer probably until like two years ago. I quit um, because I was scared I was going to tear my ACL while I lived in a five-story walk-up in New York City. So might get back to doing that once I move down to Miami permanently. I want to know. I want to know the wildest uh, story of from your playing days. Whether it was like an altercation, like just give me like what do you got? Yeah, so I played with a lot of hooligans. Is that an appropriate word to say? Like the girls on my team were fearless. And <laughs> during one game, we were in high school, I believe. Um, I had one girl on my team who was very feisty. <laughs> She fouled a lot and there became a situation <laughs> in which someone was kind of like riding her the whole game, you know, like doing with like the elbow, like digging the elbow into the ribs the whole game. And, and the girl on my team was getting really annoyed about it. And I won't say her name because I don't know how she feels about this 10 years later. But at one point, the girl on the other team did it again. Like whatever foul thing she was doing, she did it again. And the girl on my team just turned around and decked her in the face. <laughs> Wow. And the other girl, like, they, they basically jumped on top of each other and started bra brawling, brawling, <laughs> brawling. I can't say that. Brawling? Brawling. Yeah. Bowling? Yeah, brawling. <laughs> oh. That's like, sounds kind of weird. Anyways, in the middle of the field and, like, we're hitting each other, like, punching each other. They both got red cards. <laughs> they both got suspended for the next game. And then we had to replay this team, like, five hours later on our field. So they were, there was, like, this really awkward confrontation between our teams. And, like, my coach, like, ran on the field to separate them. And, like, it was right by, you know, like, the side of the field that the parents were on and the parents were screaming. Like, it was a huge deal. And this was also, like, a women's, like, a high school women's, I guess we weren't even women. We were like young girls, a soccer league in like suburban Chicago. <laughs> and there was just an all out fight. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And um, yeah, it was, I'm going to remember that. Did Smetty get close to getting involved here? Like what happened there? Like, were you close? I think I was, I think I was injured because I was on the bench for some reason. So I was like way on the opposite side of the field. So I, and like, I just remember like laughing and screaming and being like, whoa, like what the f like, oh, like we were all just screaming at each other. It was ridiculous. That's funny. Um, your by the way, that is hooligan behavior. That does qualify as hooliganism. Um, your my extensive research, Jessica, indicates to me that um, the the biggest, most crushing defeat of your sports career happened right around then in high school. Wow, that's correct, that. Greg. You did some good research. Yeah. So this is a really uh, devastating story from my soccer career. And after this happened, I was like, I'm never playing soccer again. But then I did like six months later. But anyways, I was a senior in high school and our team was really good. We were, I think we were the first place team in our division and we were on our way to qualify for the state championship. So it's my senior year, like, you know, spring season, like graduation around the corner, prom, everything. We're like all really amped up. Um, and I was a striker, so I scored a lot of goals in this playoff run. I was very invested. Wow. And so we make it to the state super sectional and we're playing our rival team. And this is a like a huge game. We're playing at a college field. There's people in the stands. There's probably like over a thousand people there easily. It was a lot of people came to see us and it was a big rivalry game. Um, it was like 90 degrees out in early June in Chicago. And I score the first goal of the game to tie it up. So the score is 1-1. The rest of the game, 
for reasons I still don't know, my coach decides not to put me back in. So I'm like a little frustrated about that. I'm also like really sweaty and hot because I was 18 and I decided it was a good idea to like go to my friend's pool all day and lay out in the sun and tan and eat like a huge Cadoba quesadilla. So like, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't really like a peak performing athlete, I guess you could say. But anyways, I was just sitting there on the bench like, okay, I'm the only one who scored in this game. I'm really irritated. This is annoying, but like we need to win this game. We need to score a goal. So the rest of the game goes by, still tied. We get to overtime, still tied. We get to double overtime, still tied. Triple overtime, still tied. We get to the penalty kick round. And the we had practiced our penalty kicks all year. I had never missed a penalty kick in my entire life. Oh, no. And the girl who's supposed to go third in our order gets is injured, so she can't go. So our order screwed up, right? And when you're a soccer player and you're doing PKs, like, it's all mental because kicking a penalty kick is pretty easy. Unless you're playing against an amazing keeper, it's not hard. And guess what? High school keepers, like, generally, like, we're not playing against, like, Allison, right? So... <laughs> I get up to take mine. I kick my penalty kick. And I, I always go for side net. I kick my penalty kick. It bounces off the left post. Ooh. It goes across the goal line, straight across the goal <gasps> line, parallel with the goal line. It hits the right post, and it bounces out. Oh, my God. Oh, God. And I was devastated. And we didn't lose on that one because, like, two other girls missed theirs, too. So I wasn't, like, the deciding kick. But it was still, like, I should. I knew I should have made it. I was, like, the best penalty kicker on the team. And uh, that was how my high school soccer career ended. Wow. So you literally came an inch or two from heroically scoring a goal. <laughs> yeah. And how crushing that was that? Way. Was there weeping involved? Like, how, how do you deal with something like that? I'm not much of a crier, so I didn't cry. My teammates were all sobbing because we were the favorites to win state. So this was a pretty shocking upset. Again, it was also our rival team. And I had a lot of friends at the rival high school. And they, they were, like, you know, taunting me and teasing me from the student section. And I was, like, so, like, I was more angry than anything, Greg. I was, like, God. Like, you know, I think, like, athletes, you get you get angry and then maybe you get sad and ruminate. But, like, I was just, like pissed off and annoyed um but then a chicago tribune reporter came and interviewed me afterwards and i felt like really cool that i got in the newspaper and my picture was in the newspaper so that kind of like cheered me up a little bit um but yeah it was pretty sad i think my parents were more upset than anything because they had you know followed me through my 18 year playing career and this was kind of the end of it and it ended on a pretty shitty note for me <laughs> right shout <laughs> And uh, did your dad end up punching your head coach and creating a big uh, controversy throughout Chicagoland? Uh, no, but my dad hated my head coach. They had already gotten in like verbal altercations because my head coach was just kind of a jerk. And like there were other things at play. Like my mom was very sick my senior year and my head coach was not very understanding of that circumstance. Um, so we were as mad as I was to be done with my soccer career. I was very relieved that it was over for some reasons. Dad, when's, what's the most angry you ever got with a coach of mine? I'm trying to think. I feel like you've embarrassed me before, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, well, there was that time that um, I, I don't know um, the guy's name. I remember when I was on like the travel baseball. Like it was one of those things when I was a rec baseball player, I was like great, but then I got to the travel team and I necessarily wasn't like an all star anymore. And you didn't right. love sometimes when Chris wasn't in the lineup, and and you well, and I Russell remember... and you and Russell would like go out to for beers afterwards. So were there ever any like, hey, put my kid in? Um, there were conversations to that effect. I remember the maddest I ever was, and and the most head shaking mad was when one of your coaches who shall not be named here uh had you bunt with two strikes and you 
and it was a big at bat. And and <laughs> I had every confidence that you were going to get a hit, but of course you fouled out. I was a good bunter, though. I was a good bunter. Remember you that? were a good remember bunter. Those days? But I remember literally kicking over a big plastic garbage can, a big uh, seems a bit know, extreme size yeah. garbage can, which is not me. I don't, you know, I'm not a road rage kind of temper guy. But yeah, you can never. be. Jess, when is uh, what's the most your dad ever like? Do you have anything like that? Oh my gosh. My dad was like very invested in my athletics career growing up. There was one game where a girl like fouled me to the point where like she was like injuring me and my dad got like really pissed and the ref threatened to kick him off the sideline. But he was just trying to protect me and he was absolutely right. Sometimes like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're playing girls soccer, even if you're playing like a really competitive league or or club or whatever, like the referees are getting paid like $10. Like they're not the best referees in the world. So sometimes the adults have to step in and be like, like, hey, like she's gonna get her her ass like broken if you keep doing that. Right. <laughs> Jess, um, what does your dad do for a living? Does he still work? Uh, what's the deal with that? My dad does still work. He works for a company that um, distributes like cigarettes and like gum and candy to convenience stores. So growing up, when I was a soccer player, he used to give us all like free beef jerky. It was pretty awesome. Would you like oh, her social? Cool. Would you like her social too, Dad? Like, what's happening here? Uh, well, I'm curious about that. And because of what your dad did for a living, did you grow up with like a, a two cigarette packs a day habit? Yes, I was addicted to cigarettes since probably the day I was born, and I still am, am probably on par with Stu Gatz in terms of cigarette consumption within the uh, Dan Levitard show. Excellent. And um, t- tell us a little bit about your your mother and your siblings. Um, so my mom, what she was an accountant. She retired about four years ago. My mom was actually diagnosed with brain cancer when I was in kindergarten. So she's been struggling and, and like battling that pretty much my entire life. So wow. she's very strong willed. And um, right now, you know, definitely still dealing with some of the effects of that, um, which is pretty sad for for everyone to, to see, especially for her, because she was a super smart woman. She still is. But, you know, things have changed throughout the years um, in terms of her health. But um, my sister, I have one sister. She is married and lives in Angola, actually, Wow. Um, which people are always like, what is that? And it is a country on the western coast of Africa. And she lives there because that's where her husband works. Wow. What does he do in Angola? He is also an accountant. <laughs> People are always like, you know, does he work with like X, Y, and Z? Like what, you know, fascinating job must he have? And I'm like, no, he just like is a business person. So <laughs> in Angola, does yeah. he, uh, does he ride an elephant to work or don't you know that? I don't know for sure, but I will ask. Okay. And, and, uh, to, to delve even further into your personal life, uh, awkwardly, um, you, you were in a full-time relationship. Is that correct? That is correct, Greg. And, As opposed to a about- part-time relationship? I've heard of some part-time relationships. <laughs> what is happening? Tread right lightly. Um, and tell us, tell us more about your loved one. <laughs> Chris looks so embarrassed right now. I just Chris, don't know, like, like. I'm I'm on social media. Like these are all facts. You're people good with could this. Probably... I, I just want to make sure it's you're like good with this. My dad's just like going really personal. I just want to make sure you're good with this. I think Greg just like looked at my Instagram account and was like, I just want some follow up details. Like, I don't think any of this is like too personal in the age of social media. Exactly. Like, I'm not going to reveal like, you know, my bank account number or like my like they're right. all just facts. Right. Our dads embarrass know. us. That's what they do. And I know I, I, yeah. I'm overly sensitive to it. But yeah, I just I don't feel like uh, I've asked an embarrassing question. If I had like a Wikipedia page, this would be on it. Right. Like, sure. I don't know. Why don't but you yeah, have I have a, a I have a boyfriend, page. Greg. Okay, what's his name? Lee? His name is Lee. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was just a wild guess. That's crazy. <laughs> um 
And In Greg, her- I will tell you, his father reminds me exactly like you. I think if you were Jewish and grew up in Brooklyn, you would be Lee's dad. Okay. <laughs> and that's not an insult. He's a lovely man, but oh, you guys thank, are both very funny. Thank you. Um, and how did you and Lee meet? We were both working at Sports Illustrated and Excellent. we were both on the video team, but we didn't like work like with each other, really. We were kind of doing different things. Um, yeah. So that was where we met. Um, I want to ask you about SI because, first of all, you're an extremely gifted writer, and um, I want to tell people to go look up the story you did uh, down here on Miami Marine Stadium, which is a, an old dinosaur of a of a relic. And uh, it, it was one of those stories, after I read it, I said to myself, damn, I wish I'd written that. I wish I would have thought of that story and written it because it was so, so terrific. Um, well, thank you. High compliment. Yeah, well, Sports Illustrated uh, used to be an absolute top-tier brand. And then, you know, like so many others in journalism, it, it sort of took a bunch of budget hits and everything. You were um, actually involved in the union there, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. I was the first chair of the union, so I was like second in command of, of all the troops. And so when all these terrible budget cuts were happening, um, and I know how it is to, to see co-workers and friends unfairly lose their jobs. And sons. Uh, and sons. You you were sort of on the, uh, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, you were on the inside of that. Like you were you were right there fighting to save these jobs, right? That's absolutely right. Yeah, I think we started our uh, unionization efforts around the time that Sports Illustrated was up for sale in 2019. And we kind of saw the writing on the wall, which was that in the wrong hands, this company is going to get gutted. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs, which is, uh, you know, super important. But also importantly, this historic magazine, like this historic brand that's been around for decades might go bankrupt and it might not exist anymore. And I think like a lot of people, you know, my age, your age, Chris's age grew up with Sports Illustrated, grew up seeing who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, reading amazing journalism in Sports Illustrated. And the thought of losing that for the next generation, I think, was really motivating to us, as well as the thought of people whose livelihoods are on the line, just losing them one day through no fault of their own. Now, it's in this context, in the context of uh, you working for SI, which is sort of um, dissolving right around you. Uh, through no fault of your own, that you got the call from Meadowlark or from the Levitard show. Walk us through that. When did it happen? Who was on the other end of the line? And, and how shocked were you by, by this offer? Yeah. Um, so it was this this winter. I, I guess it was in the winter. Yeah. Mike Ryan called me um, and said that, you know, they were interested in adding me to the show. If I was interested in moving to Miami, that was kind of the caveat. Like, you know, Meadowlark is hiring all these people, but we see a position for you in Miami. Would you be OK with that? Because I've lived in New York for five years and I was like, yeah, it's 20 degrees out right now and snowing. I think that sounds great. Um, but then I had to like sit and think about it. And obviously, like relocating my life is a pretty big deal. Um, my boyfriend is not moving to Miami with me because he has his own job and his own life um, circumstances. But um, yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. And like part of the reason that I'm still in New York is that it's only been like a couple months since it, everything was finalized. So it's kind of difficult. I'm learning to move across the country. Right. Can't really do it with a snap of the fingers. But um, yeah, I think part of the reaction that I had was just sheer excitement, but then also so much relief because as much as I think the work that I did with Sports Illustrated Union was really like vital, like as vital as my job. And without the union, I wouldn't have had a job at that point. Um, not having to do that work is like a huge workload off my back. And I have nothing but respect for the people who are still there doing that work because it is in itself a full-time job. 
Jess, I, I don't assume anything at any time. So I'm going to ask, had you ever heard of Mike Ryan? Did, did, did you listen to the Levitard show? Like, did you have any knowledge of who these people were uh, wanting you to move to Miami? Yeah, I was a fan of the show. I wasn't like, we, we kind of talked about this on, on Mystery Crate a few months ago. Like, I wasn't like the biggest diehard Levitard show fan, but I had watched the show a, a plenty of times. It used to be on all the time in the background at my, my first sports media job. So I knew the characters. I knew Mike, like, pretty well through Twitter and, like, just through a lot of mutual friends that we have, um, specifically at ESPN. So I was not, it wasn't, like, a total shock to me. And it was something that I always thought, like, man, I think I would fit in really well there. Like, I think that that would be a, a really cool place to work. But I just don't know how or when or why or if they would even want me, you know, like that sort of uh, thing. So right. it was a surprise because I was I didn't know that they were looking to hire anyone to be on the show, but it wasn't necessarily like the the craziest thing I had ever heard. And it was super, super exciting just knowing what the show was about and, and the tenor of the show, because the tenor of the show is very much like what I have been trying to do the last few years working in sports, which is have fun, but also be able to have serious conversations and to use a platform for good and not just to, you know, it's not just getting Chris Cody to show us his long ass crack. It's also just to have <laughs> important conversations about sports and the politics of the sports. And, and how do you think you're fitting in? Because I, I think you and Whittingham uh, have been great additions to the shipping container. Uh, how does it feel for you? Uh, how satisfied are you with the transition? How do you think it's going? I think it's been going pretty well. I think that um, things are definitely easier in the studio but I will say doing it on Zoom, I think still works pretty well. Like chemistry wise, I'm glad that my first week or my I guess my second week, I was able to see and meet everyone in person. Um, and I think like part of the circumstances of this job change are also circumstances of the pandemic, which is everything being virtual and like things still not really being totally fully back to normal. So I've been happy with the way that I, we've been able to kind of transition with those um, parameters in place. But yeah, I think I think that you know, as things go on and as I'm more full-time in Miami, it's only going to get better and the chemistry is only going to get better within the group. Now, are you concerned at all that um, you're going to, when you move to Miami, that, and, and this is a personal question, I know you don't have to answer if you don't want, but long distance relationships can be tough. And all of a sudden- What are we doing right now? Like, what? Like, like <laughs> I yeah, care like, about interview Jessica. her. Just, like, I'm, it concerns I'm, me when she I'm says- Dad, how's your marriage Chris. going? Dad, how's your marriage like, going? <laughs> Well, we live in the same house, so we don't have any excuses. Like, have you guys fought recently? Like, anything big you want to share Look, with, like, the national audience? Sure. Chris, he's being asking? a journalist. Right. Okay. I am curious whether, through the magic of editing, if, if you don't want to answer this, Christopher will not air Oh, no, it. we're leaving it in now. We're here. No, I'm just curious if, if you and Lee have had a conversation about, wow, this is going to be rough not being in the same city. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that's like a super, it would be like very childish not to have a conversation about that. Um, luckily, we both can visit each other and talk on the phone and FaceTime and like, you know, hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to spend more time in Miami um, than he thinks he will, especially in the winter months when I'm going to be at the beach and he's going to be freezing his ass off. So right. um, I think that like, you know, we'll see, but I'm, I'm not like super worried about it right now. Tell us about your unnatural obsession with Lewis Hamilton and Formula One racing, because I know a lot of people who are, are NASCAR fans and such. I don't really know anyone who's a, a Formula One fan, although there are millions around the globe who are. Uh, how did that become an interest to you? 
Um, well, I started watching the Netflix show Drive to Survive during the pandemic. Actually, I think it was like in August 2021, so it was very recently. Um, that show is a phenomenal primer for people who aren't Formula One fans to introduce them into the sport and some of the personalities in the sport. Um, so after I finished that series, I started watching the races and now I'm like fully immersed in it. And I love Lewis Hamilton, not just because he's like a seven time world champion, but also because I think he's super, um, he's super honest about his mental health and about, you know, how hard some of the aspects of, of fame and celebrity life are. And I think he's a pretty authentic person. Like I obviously could be wrong. He could be a total douche and I don't know it because I don't know him <laughs> personally, but that's the way he comes off, um, in the show and to media. And I think that Formula One, is really fascinating and fun because the characters involved are not afraid to call each other out. They're not afraid to have public feuds with one another. Um, they're really unfiltered on the show. And I think that that's one of the flaws of um, a lot of American sports, such as the NFL and college football and other pro sports. A lot of times the owners and the league, you know, league officials and players and coaches, like they feel more pressure and more criticism to be proper and to be professional and to not let their personality shine through all the time and to not really create feuds with other people. I think that that's one of the reasons why the NBA is so popular on, on Twitter and with younger people is because that's not the case. Like there is beef all the time. People do talk shit to one another. Like that's the fun, entertaining part of it. Um, and so Formula One is great because they narc on each other all the time. If one <laughs> team thinks another team is cheating, they're going to be like, Ferrari, they keep cheating. Like, what's wrong with them? They need to get fined $5 million and they will call each other out and it is amazing. And I wish we had more of that in the NFL. I wish that NFL players were like a little bit more unfiltered and could just honestly discuss things with the media without this fear of people taking it the wrong way or not appreciating it for what it is, which is really just entertainment. No, I, I love the whole thing. And, and I think part of the reason for that is that like we just saw Pat Riley fined by the NBA for some innocuous thing he said on the Levitard show. And in Formula One, there's like not a commissioner who's going to fine you for criticizing another team, right? Well, there is a steward, but the stewards and the stewards do do investigations on like if something is wrong with the cars or if someone is going over their budget or whatever, because um, there's certain caps in place this year. But um, as far as like letting the drivers kind of be themselves and letting the, the directors and stuff kind of be themselves, that's all part of the sport. Like being able to report someone else for an infraction is part of the sport. Um, and I don't think you get fined for that. I don't I don't really know for sure, but I think that that's kind of like built into that sport a little bit more. What are you better at, golf or baking? Ooh, that's a good question. Probably baking, but don't tell Chris Cody. What kind of baking? I can bake anything. You name it. What's your favorite food to eat? Baked food. I mean, I, I'm a sucker for a good cake. I baked. Oh, you had my birthday cake. It I baked good. like a, a mascarpone strawberry cornbread cake for my birthday. I baked um, a hummingbird wow. cake last year for my birthday. I baked two Brooklyn blackout cakes during the pandemic. Um, yeah, I, I I baked carrot cake twice. I think during the pandemic. Yeah. I'm, are you I'm like? Are you the type that you can just throw something together, or you need to like look at all the exact recipes and you're like measuring stuff out? Like, or you can just like eye it at this point. I can eye certain measurements, but I I definitely use recipes as a guide because I think baking, unlike cooking, is more of a chemistry experiment. And if you throw off the chemistry of something you're baking, it just might not like it might not even work. Like it might not bake. 
Um, whereas like if you're cooking, you can kind of like add this, add this, like improvise a little bit more. Like cooking is more like jazz. I think baking, you kind of have to follow a recipe. But I do sometimes try to like add things or subtract things or um, manipulate the recipes if I think it would be better a certain way. But not, you know, you can't stray too far from the script because then you might just make a pile of shit. Do you have one thing that's the best thing you've ever baked? Like hands down, no debate. That's a good question. I, I feel like I should ask my boyfriend's family because they've been eating all my baked goods throughout the pandemic. But I made a really good strawberry bunt cake last week. That was a huge ah, success. Bunt cake. Um, never made one before and it was great. Um, but probably I made two tiramisu cakes during the pandemic. I don't know if it's cake, tiramisu. I made tiramisu twice. Um, really, really good. And I handmade the lady fingers from scratch. Wow. So. Yeah, that's impressive. I believe it or not, I too have made a hummingbird cake. Um, oh yeah, I remember it. It's a very colorful cake, right? Like the layers are different colors or something like that. I'm trying to recall the recipe. Hummingbird cake is basically a carrot cake, but you add crushed pineapples and yes. um, I think pecans or walnuts. Yes. Yeah. Jess, what do, you think about, what do you think about my theory that carrot cake would be much more popular if it had a better name? I feel what like would you just, name it? I, I don't know. I just feel like the carrot, like it just makes people like there's a lot of people out there that are just like, oh, I don't, why would I want a carrot cake? It's like, it doesn't yeah, taste, it doesn't like, taste carrots. like carrots. Right. I just feel like I it needs a better, it needs a better it like, PR. It needs a better PR agent. Yeah. I think that's actually a good point. Maybe you like cream cheese cake because the frosting exactly. is really good. Yeah. Like cream cheese or like, do you like carrot cake with like raisins and walnuts or just plain? I like a little crunch. I think you could just call it like a, a spiced nut cake because that's really all it is. The yeah, carrot just spiced, adds moisture. I don't know if spice is doing a lot. Like, I don't know if I want my cakes to be spiced, but we'll figure it out. We'll get together later on and we'll come up with a good name. All right, uh, we'll work it, on it. Be, just before you let you go, it, it just re- it called in my mind. In my, what did it um, do? Humming, in my hummingbird cake, what happened was I, I went too light on the pineapple and, and in the cooking process, the pineapple all but disappeared on me. So mm-hmm. the next time I make hummingbird cake, uh, I'm going to really double or even triple the amount of pineapple I put in. Note to self. Good to know. So uh, that is good to know. Uh, Christopher, what, what would you like to uh, speak to Jess about before we leave? I would like to say, Jess, it's so good to have you part of the team. Um, I didn't really have anything prepared here, so this is just my default here. But seriously, it's cool to have you. I agree with everything you said. You fit in perfectly. And uh, thank you for joining Aww. us today. I have a question for you guys, though, which is, what do I need to know before I move to Miami? Whew. Neither neither of us are Miami people. <laughs> We're more uh, Fort Lauderdale people. Okay, um, let me rephrase. What do I need to know before I move to South Florida? Dad, what's your number wow. one advice for... I mean, that's a good question. Um, avoid road rage, uh, because when you're, when you're doing that whole Turnpike 95 thing, uh, it can get a little bit hairy. Now, I know Chicago, obviously, is a big city, and, and you've seen traffic before, but uh, I think the drivers down here are unusually uh, road ragey. Yeah, says, so I've Greg heard Co- that from a lot of yeah. people, yeah. Greg Cody. I heard that they text and drive a lot. Oh, are you kidding me? And, and the phones and, and texting and all kind of uh, eating, and, you know, it's you're very – nothing is scarier than when you're driving and you're looking in the rearview mirror and the person right behind you is obviously looking down and texting. It's terrifying. I will purposely get out of that lane and avoid that person as if their car's on fire, which you see a lot of cars on fire in South Florida, by the way. I have a question for you, Greg, because I asked Chris this already, but he said he does not wear sunscreen every day. Do you wear sunscreen every day? I'm, I'm fairly dark uh, complected. Is that a word for complexion? Complected? 
I You're think the it, writer. I think it works in, in context, yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I no, short answer, I never do that. I probably should, but I do have a dark complexion. And more than that, um, I try to avoid sun. I'm not a beach person. I live eight miles from the Atlantic Ocean, and I can count on one hand the number of times I uh, go to the beach in a year. Uh, so You, can count, sun, you dur- can count the amount of times you've been to the beach the last five years, probably on one hand. It could be. It could be. I, wow. I do go in my pool a lot, you know, more than anybody else in my family combined. Because you shower uh, in it, yeah. Uh, occasionally I'll wash. I don't refer to it as showering in my pool. I wash my hair in the pool. I That's... don't like soap my underarms and the whole bit in the pool. Dad, I love how you're you're saying that you shampoo your hair in the pool, and you're like, "That's not a full shower." I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I shampoo my hair. I'm in and out. You know, it's a. I like that thing. we started this podcast with making fun of Chris Whittingham's hair, and yes. we're ending it with Greg shampooing in the pool that again. Perfect. It's perfect. It's what a circle. The circle of life. Jessica, thanks a lot. That was a lot of fun. Uh, You're an important woman, and we appreciate you carving out uh, some time for us. And now, uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous, we go to Diardo the Magnificent. Now, before we get to this, I just want to make fun of uh, the sound effect that Yeti has in this. It is just the saddest wheel. There's a wheel that spun. A nice little nugget for you guys, a little teaser in this bit we do right here. And it's a real wheel, a real but I, it's a, it's the saddest wheel I've ever heard yet. I just wanted I told to compliment you. It was a crappy wheel, but let's go. A creel. Let's do this. <laughs> Brian Diardo from CBS Sports, or what do you call him, Dad? Diardo the Magnificent. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me on the show today. No problem. Um, I, I first want to um, introduce you sort of uh, and, and explain to people like what you do for CBS Sports, uh, what's your expertise and all that stuff. Yeah, well, I've covered the NFL for about five or six years, the last two or three with CBS. So, you know, pretty much we have budget assignments, which means that we have pretty much homework and, I, and I'm kind of the historical guy. So I do a lot of that right now since it's the off season. We're diving into projected depth charts and, and starting lineups and things of that nature, which is keeping us busy. Uh, I cover all the teams and I try to find things that that I think, you know, audiences would like just pretty much like any writer would. But my forte is history. And I love the Super Bowl. I love the two weeks because that's really my time to shine. And I go back in time and I write about, you know, football with Larry Zonka, Jim Kick and Bob Greasy and some names that some Miami fans from the 70s would, uh, you know, would would remember. So that's really my forte. I love the history of the of the game. And, and uh, CBS fortunately likes that I like that. And they let me uh, scratch that itch whenever uh, I get the desire to do so. Now, um, Brian, the reason I wanted you on was because you have a particular weird skill that I want to introduce people to in a minute. But before we get to that, we're a Miami-based show, and, you know, they're entering year two for two at Tagovailoa, the quarterback. There continues to be, you know, some doubt about how is he going to be great, is he going to be good, uh, because his rookie season was up and down and really didn't show much uh, definitively. What's your take on, on Tua and what he's going to turn out to be? Well, I like Tua, and I think that, uh, you know, last year he showed a lot of growth. One game I remember watching specifically that I, you know, I was kind of became a believer of him 
was the Chiefs game, believe it or not. I know they lost that game, but when they fell down by a couple of possessions, and, and, and honestly, for a lot of young quarterbacks, I love to see how they respond to that type of adversity. Okay, here's where things aren't going easy for you. You're not at Alabama anymore. You're facing the defending champions with Patrick Mahomes. You're down three touchdowns. What are you going to do? And that's when I thought the lights went on for him. He stopped thinking as much. He was a lot more, you know, with his passing, more decisive. And it's particularly Mike Gusecki. I love that tight end. I think he's really underrated. And I thought when he just let his instincts flow, he really shined. And I remember, you know, in the later portions of that game, I was thinking, this this is the Tua that Miami fans have been waiting to see. And this is why, for a year, they pretty much were trying to get this guy by tanking for Tua. And, And so I really loved his uh, his leadership he showed in that game and during other parts of the season. And, and as you've said on your show before, we don't know how much he was set back from that injury he suffered, you know, the last year at Alabama. So now that he's got a whole year under his belt, uh, now losing Chan Gailey, that hurts me a little bit. And and actually, uh, Chan Gailey is great with young athletic quarterbacks. I remember being a Steeler fan in, in the 90s. He did a great job with Cordell Stewart. And there were a couple of plays with Tua that actually caught myself thinking, I think Chan Gailey ran that with Cordell at one point. So, uh, but I like the fact that they promoted two assistants to the OC position that are we're already in the staff, so they know Tua. I think that's going to help a lot. Uh, but I'm optimistic with Tua, and I think Dolphin fans should be as well going into this season. Brian, I want to get to your oddball skill set because <laughs> this is weird to me. Uh, everybody within the sound of my voice, and there goes my telephone. Hang on just a second. It's Nelly's Diner. They want to get your reservation set. <laughs> By the way, Brian, what's your favorite uh, meal at Nelly's Diner? I understand you're a breakfast guy. It's got to be the PFPI pancakes. They're yeah. they're fantastic. And I'll, I'll say this. If you finish it in less than 15 minutes, you get a free Fins at 50 book. So just throwing that out there nice. for people that haven't been there yet. Yeah, I got one. It's upstairs. I'm, I'm thumbing through it right now. It's a great beat. Great beat. It's upstairs and you're thumbing through it right now. Those are some long thumbs, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I've got a great wingspan. I'm actually, I don't know how I'm not in the NBA, but that's all right. I'd rather read sports statistics. Uh, what I was going to say is um, you have a weird skill. Like I knew somebody once who could name every state capital in alphabetical order, like rat-a-tat-tat, one after the other. Uh, somewhere out there, you know, a lot of people can name uh, every U.S. president. Somewhere out there, somebody can name every U.S. vice president you know, sequentially. Uh, your weird skill set is that you can name every Super Bowl winner in history with the final score of the game and the MVP. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep, that is correct. And in addition to that, you can name since 1980 every NBA Finals winner, the number of games the Finals went, and the Finals MVP. Is that too correct? That is also correct. Okay. Why are you so strange? (laughs) You know, my wife's coming in now. We'll ask her if we don't have enough time. That would be a whole weekend deal. So I know this is a visual medium I'm showing you here, but this is actually an old Super Bowl by the numbers book I got from a family member when I was 10. It's got the, every play of like the first 29 Super Bowls. And I actually wrote in some of the ones for the next five or six years. There's 33, which you may have covered. It was in Miami. The uh, Broncos beat the Falcons. We'll get to that one later. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, so I just, I just loved the, the Super Bowl. Just the, and I still do. Uh, and I love the old John Facenda NFL films highlights. I used to get up as a kid at like seven in the morning and watch ESPN two and they show them all Super Bowl week. And uh, I just, yeah. So I fell in love with that. And the NBA finals, actually, when you talk to Dick Stockton, my first recollection of Dick Stockton was he used to be the narrator of the old NBA season highlights in the eighties. So that's yeah. the first thing that comes to mind when I thought Dick Stockton. So, uh, 
So I think just those NBA films, NFL films, not to mention this book, those are reasons why I became a huge uh, historian in those respects. There's a, a drawback to this, a negative one. I can't remember anything my wife asks me to do, which I think maybe every man can attest to. So yes. I don't even remember what I had for dinner yesterday, but I know that Larry <laughs> Zonka ran for 145 yards in Super Bowl eight and almost split his shoulder <laughs> on the goal line which is why they moved the goalpost back. So by day, you are Brian Diardo of CBS Sports. But uh, your alter ego that we are introducing today is Diardo the Magnificent. Uh, <laughs> you are the magician-like wonder who, uh, without any cheating or ledger domain, you are able to amaze people with your knowledge of the NFL, Super Bowl, and the NBA Finals. And what we're doing, people can't see this because it's a podcast, it's audio, but what we're doing is having you uh, blindfold yourself so that there can be no skullduggery here. Am I right? That's correct. We're going to go ahead and do that. I'm going to go ahead and cover my eyes so that uh, there is there's no, 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 uh, no bill checking going on in this dining room. So <laughs> now I have a list here that I'm going to look at to verify whether or not you're correct in all this. And um, and Yeti Blanc, our game show uh, host, is going to spin the game show uh, mystery wheel and come up with whether it's a Super Bowl or NBA Finals and the year. So, Yeti, if you'd like to begin, feel free. That's right, Greg. Our game show wheel is sponsored by Nelly's Diner. It's different than your normal standard wheel that you would think of that's situated vertically. This one is more like a roulette table. All right, let's see. So spin the wheel. And we will go with NBA 1987. All right. Oh, this is one of my favorite. The Lakers beat the Celtics in six games. Magic Johnson, the finals, MVP. Lakers won games one and two, four and six. Four was a classic. Uh, the Dick Stockton broadcasted that game. Lakers were down by 15 in the fourth quarter. Magic led the comeback with the junior, junior hook with about two seconds left. So Lakers in six, 87 finals, Magic MVP over the Celtics. Wow, the the, the reference was the former Greg show, uh, Greg Cody show uh, guest, Dick Stockton, and and Diardo the Magnificent is 100% <laughs> correct. Wow, Alrighty. that's amazing. Moving on to the next one. Let's really test you here. Let's see, Magic Wheel, what are we going to go with? Okay, NFL 1974. So this is a Super Bowl played in 74, right? Super Bowl played in 1974? Season. Oh, well, hey, Miami Dolphins, right? I can't sing the song, but they beat the Minnesota Vikings 24 to 7. Uh, Bob Greasy threw, I think he was 6 of 7 in that game, which is the NFL record for least pass attempts in a Super Bowl. Actually, I think David Woodley has the Dolphins record for fewest pass attempts, or yeah, completions in a Super Bowl, which four. He didn't have any in the second half of that game. But you didn't ask me about Super Bowl 17. You asked me about... Super Bowl eight, which uh, Larry Zonka was the MVP of that game, 145 yards. Poor Fran Tarkington. That was his first of three consecutive Super Bowl losses. The Dolphins completed their 15 and two season, and they were 32 and two over a two year span. Okay, once again, uh, you nailed it, uh, Diardo the Magnificent. But I'm going to test you further, and if you don't get this right, you, you've still oh, no. got the question right. I'm just pushing the envelope here. Sure, let's push it. Larry Zonka had 145 yards rushing on how many carries? Ooh. Uh, do, 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 do. I'm thinking, thinking. Was it 33? You're damn right it was. <laughs> wow. This guy's good. All right, let's continue. All right. Wheel again. Okay, now, actually, this is the first Super Bowl that I remember, um, that I have any memory of. Super Bowl 23, played in 1989. Ooh, 
I know where I, it, it, Joe Robbie Stadium. Greg Cody may have covered this. I'm not sure. I believe I did. The 49ers, there you go. 49ers beat the Bengals 20 to 16. Stanford Jennings with a 93 yard kickoff return for the Bengals. We all thought the Niners were going to lose, and they weren't. And I would be remiss not to say that my coworker, uh, John Breach, his father, Jim Breach, was the kicker for the Bengals that day. He uh, had nine or 10 points for the Bengals. Uh, but Joe Montana led the 92 yard drive. John Candy and everything hit uh, Jim Taylor for the game winning touchdown. Montana threw for a then Super Bowl record 356 yards. He was not the MVP. The MVP was Jerry Rice, who caught 11 passes, a then Super Bowl record for a still standing Super Bowl record, 215 yards and one touchdown. The Bengals played well, not well enough. The Niners win their third Super Bowl of the 80s in Bill Walsh's final game on the sideline for the 49ers. Wow. I'm going to give him less time to think about these things. NBA 1981. Uh, Celtics in six. Uh, Matt, uh, Cedric Maxwell was the MVP of that one. They beat uh, they beat the Rockets in six games. Okay, wait a minute now. 1981. Say that. Say that again. Celtics in six. Yeah, Celtics in six games. Larry Bird. I think Moses Malone was on the was on uh, the Rockets at that time. They had a losing record, I think, in the regular season. That was Larry Bird's first championship of the '80s Celtics. Okay, and the MVP was who? Oh, it was Cedric Maxwell. It wasn't Larry Bird. It was Cedric Maxwell. Larry yeah. was 84 and 86. Maxwell, cornbread Maxwell was 81. He didn't uh, do well in the 85 finals, though, for whatever reason, but uh, he was the MVP in 81. Okay. Um, yeah, Greg, he's a witch. <laughs> he is a witch. Uh, Diardo the Magnificent is literally uh, telling me this information faster than I can look it up on a printed page. Okay, what's next? All right, next. Super Bowl six. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Dolphin fans. This wasn't your day. It was 24 to 3 Cowboys. Roger Staubach threw a touchdown pass uh, to Mike Dicka to seal the win. Larry Zonka had a fumble in that game for the first time in 238 carries. It was the Cowboys' first championship. But I know, as Greg Cody knows, the Dolphins just getting there that season was an accomplishment. They beat the Chiefs in a classic, classic playoff game uh, in Arrowhead Stadium. The Dolphins would win the next two Super Bowls, though, but uh, they became the first team not to score a Super Bowl touchdown. They held that record until the Rams tied them with no touchdowns in Super Bowl 53. Yeah, but where was that played, Brian? It was in Tulane Stadium. Was it? Well, no, no, it was in Louisiana. Super Bowl uh, six was in Louisiana. Yeah. Right, Tulane. It was Tulane Stadium in New Orleans. I got him to doubt himself. I'm counting that as a partial win. Okay, and the, and the MVP was? <laughs> oh, it was Staubach. He only threw for 119 yards, though. Dwayne Thomas should have been the MVP of that game. He had 95 yards and two touchdowns, uh, you know, but I, I, I'm remiss. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm getting tired of Brian Diardo's relentless excellence, but let's try one or two more times to, to uh, make him misstep. Make him tough, Yeti. I'm trying to, but like, I don't think that there is anything tough for this guy. Spin the wheel better. All right. Let me give it an extra spin. All right. Super Bowl 25, 1991. The Giants won 20 to 19. They beat the Bills. Scott Newer missed the 47 yard field goal. Otis Anderson was the MVP, 102 yards rushing. Thurman Thomas should have been the MVP if the Bills would have won. He had 190 all-purpose yards, 135 on the ground. But, uh, you know, Bill Parcells wins his second ring, and the Giants uh, win their second Super Bowl. The game was played in the old Tampa Stadium, and uh, that was Whitney Houston's amazing rendition of the national anthem in that game. And the MVP? Otis Anderson. Okay. Of, uh, of what college? Uh, Greg, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's why I ask. Otis O.J. Anderson is a former Miami Hurricane. How about uh, that? You're going to – that's awesome. You're going to – I won't be able to sleep now for two days, but uh, – <laughs> Well – You uh, got but, me. No, but you are still uh, – you still have a perfect record. <laughs> this has been 
uh, Diardo the Magnificent, and he has uh, underlined his incredible skill today on the Greg Cody Show. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was fun doing that, Greg, and uh, maybe we'll do this again. Maybe next time we'll go beyond 1980 uh, so that you guys can have a chance to stump me again. <laughs> Absolutely. And and where can people um, find your work? Is it is just cbssports.com or where is it? You can go to cbssports.com and you can go to at Brian Diardo uh, to see all of my, my likes and retweets and my articles. So uh, yeah, there's always something going on in the NFL, as you guys know, and it's, it's been a real joy to be able to cover it for a living for sure. Well, Brian, uh, uh, stay in touch and uh, uh, very happy you joined us on the show today. It's a marvelous uh, and odd skill that you have. Congratulations. Well, thank you, guys. I'm going to go online now and read about O.J. Anderson's college stats to, uh, to get better <laughs> at my blind spot. But, yeah, thanks, yes. guys, for having me. It was a pleasure. Have a good night. All right. Thank you, Brian. Right. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Diardo the Magnificent. That was good stuff. You have a really freaky uh, talent there that I congratulate you for. I feel like I have a talent kind of equal to Brian Diardo in that I can do the exact opposite of him. And I can't tell you literally any Super Bowl champion or MVP. Like literally, <laughs> do test me. Last season, uh, the Chiefs <laughs> played. Now the Chiefs lost. Who'd the Chiefs play? They, they, they were back in the Super Bowl, but they lost. Oh, Brady won. Brady. Yeah, All right, I got the, last not year. Not the Bucks, just Tom Brady. Just Tom Brady. <laughs> See, <laughs> like I, I, I struggled with that. Like that was genuinely hard. I had to like really struggle to remember that Brady is the most current. Super okay, Bowl well, you in got this it, century, though. just throw out his name. You're probably going to be right. Yeah. yeah, it's true. All right, well, so congratulations on that. But uh, podcast family, uh, appreciate you all joining us once again. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and um, thanks a lot. Got, you know, review, subscribe, rate, do whatever you do. Keep doing it. And we're going to keep thanking you every week. See you next week. Bye-bye.